Um, well, welcome uh, to the, today's launch of the uh, GFCI, the Global Financial Centers Index, uh, edition 34. Uh, we're very pleased today to uh, bring together colleagues in London and Hong Kong, and also Jochen, uh, who is with us today from Dublin, I think, Jochen, so uh, very good to uh, be with you today. Um, I'm going to um, ask Michael Nelly to um, take the chair uh, for the first section of the webinar, and then I'll see you later to present the results of the GFCI. Uh, on this edition. Over to you, Michael. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mike. Well, first thing is just to have a quick look at the agenda today. Uh, we've got uh, a, a short introduction from me. Uh, we're going to be looking uh, to a discussion with uh, King and Jochen uh, about the role of future financial centers. Mike, uh, as he mentioned, will be presenting the results, uh, and then we'll have some observations. But may I suggest, uh, folks, you're very welcome uh, to provide comments, questions, uh, and answers, if you've got any, uh, to some of the discussion points, and we've got about uh, 10 minutes for that. Anyway, we are thoroughly delighted to be here launching uh, GFCI 34. Who ever thought when we began this project uh, 19 years ago uh, that we would be here today uh, looking at it? Uh, the first edition was published, as many of you will know, in uh, uh, March of 2007, but the project actually began in 2005 as we were working to explore how to evaluate financial centers. Over the years, uh, many things have occurred. Uh, most importantly, of course, has been very much the rise of Asia and in particular the rise of China, uh, but also the huge shift uh, from traditional financial centers into tech centers. Uh, and we'll be seeing that uh, as we move along through here. Now, um, what I wanted to do uh, in a way was to uh, just, just to get the conversation going uh, turn to our two colleagues, uh, Jochen and King. Uh, Jochen, if you wouldn't mind, could you explain? You're, you're, you're there with the World Association of International Financial Centers. How do you see uh, the, this, this area as we look at it? Yeah, first, first of all, maybe if you don't mind, a few words on, on us. Uh, these days we celebrate our five-year anniversary. Uh, we were, you know, we started before the pandemic in 2018 with 11 financial centers. Now we comprise, you see here uh, the, uh, the world map, 29 financial centers across five uh, continents. And uh, yeah, we, we focus on the collaborate, uh, collaborative work between financial centers, um, but also on exchanging best practices. You know, there are the larger, there are smaller financial centers. And uh, yeah, they need to learn from each other and not in each and every time reinvent the wheel. We, we help assess from sustainable finance, digital transformation up to financial regulation and all those social changes also the financial centers face and they have to re react on or hopefully be proactive. Great. Uh, King, we, we have um, a lot of categories here. Um, we talk about, uh, I, I frequently distinguish a global financial center, believe it or not, from an international one. Global is where I believe people will do business even if there's no domestic component. Uh, we've got international financial centers, we've got regional centers. Um, how, how does Hong Kong fit into such categorizations? That's a great question. Um, uh, we would like to think of ourselves as a, a global financial center, but um, maybe uh, I, I will take us back 30 years um, when the first HHS, that is mainland Chinese company got listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. That was really the transformational year for Hong Kong uh, exactly 30 years ago. Since then, we have become a conduit uh, between the mainland China and the rest of the world. Um, 
per, starting off as a uh, funding uh, fundraising hub for mainland China. But over the years, we have expanded that um, into many connect schemes. I'm sure many of you uh, know of them, like Equity Connect, Bond Connect, Mutual Fund Connect, ETF Connect, and even lately, Private Fund Connect. Uh, basically, uh, to me, a financial center needs to have both breadth and depth. It is about breadth of product variety and investor base. It is also about depth of talent pool and market liquidity. So it is our goal to broaden market access and risk management tools, such as the recent launch of catastrophe bonds uh, in Hong Kong to better serve the real economy and all the stakeholders. So uh, that's why you know, some of the topics uh, that Johan mentioned earlier, like digital finance, you know, sustainable finance, uh, are, are very important to, to us. Jochen, uh, I mean, you represent a group, um, we have a group uh, which overlaps in Vantage. Uh, I mean, in both cases, as you look across it, there actually are quite a few uh, common elements, you know, initiatives, opportunities and challenges uh, across the various centers. Um, obviously, you know, people want to talk about fintech, obviously they want to talk about green, obviously. Um, and to some degree, this makes a lot of sense um, because financial centers only work if they're working together. So that if I'm going to do a green transaction with you, then we both have to have green, you see. So there's a kind of a commonality to it. And on the other hand, uh, people want to specialize and differentiate themselves. Uh, what do you see as the uh, common challenges to, the, to your members? I think we, we, have, we have a number of large scale topics and you have mentioned a few of them, which all of our members facing. On the other hand, there's a specific domestic environment and uh, they need to decide uh, what they want to address. Uh, first and foremost, financial centers, you know, their physical clusters, they're there for financing the economy. And this is first the national economy, but of course some financial centers have, have grown beyond the national economy. Uh, our member Hong Kong is, is, a, is a good example for this and they have an international uh, element uh, and their international financial centers in in that way, but uh, in terms of in terms of the, the the challenges and also the opportunities we face, um, I think back uh, roughly a year ago, Mike, we were uh, uh, you know jointly drafting a white paper on the future of financial centers, uh, also together with uh, our member DFC Dubai International Financial Center. And we, are, we were thinking how financial centers might look like in 2030. And uh, now, uh, you know, I've, I feel everything has accelerated again, right? So I give you one example. We were thinking about uh, the impact of artificial intelligence on finance, but we weren't thinking, you know, generative AI would, would progress so fast. Now we, you know, we have all the chat GDP and all those, all those clones and it's, uh, you know, really, really uh, extraordinary, the, the development in that space, and this definitely will have a, a large impact on financial centers. We have just started a webinar series on, on this to, to think about. So some developments uh, re really uh, go fast. And the other big topic, of course, is sustainable finance, which is first and foremost climate finance. We need to reduce the carbon emissions globally. But also uh, transition finance, we need to help our, our corporates uh, to finance uh, their change in the production process, which uh, requires lots of capital investment. And then there are, there are more topics, 
uh, you know, we need to support the circular economy. We cannot go on uh, with the current way of uh, economic development, um, at least not forever, because the resources of our planet are limited and also biodiversity, which we need to protect by all means. It's maybe not that urgent as climate uh, change, but we also cannot wait too long. And this all requires, again, this, you know, really significant investments. And also we need to involve, we need to, uh, involve the financial industry and the businesses in, in that. So I think this is maybe the, the largest challenge. Um, as I said, there are also social challenges. Some of our members have aging uh, populations behind, uh, which requires a joint action with their governments and, and, and many more. But I think these are maybe the pre most pressing issues, sustainable finance and the digital transformation. Well, that's, that's very clear. And I guess that's one of the things about running a, a global financial center, the problems of the globe are on your doorstep. Uh, mm -hmm. So King, how, how do you, uh, you know, because we, you know, we're looking at this uh, in that great macroeconomic helicopter view that uh, WAIFC and ZN have, but you know, you're, you're there in Hong Kong in the thick of it. How are you coping with these challenges and opportunities? Yes, um, there are quite a lot of opportunities, but as well as challenges. Uh, uh, I, we have to uh, recognize that the world is becoming more multipolar. So uh, Hong Kong as an international financial center is really used to dealing with uncertainties. So we have been through many cycles uh, over the years. Um, you know, luckily, every time we've come out stronger and fitter. So um, with you know, the you know, complex environment that we are in now, uh, I think you know, what we need to emphasize is connectivity. So that's why I think WAIFC is very important. Uh, as Johan uh, mentioned, now we have 29 members. We would love to expand that network because through this network, we can share best practices and we can also learn from each other. Um, so take Hong Kong as, as, as an example. Uh, I highlighted earlier, we started off as uh, really a fundraising center for uh, the, the mainland economy. But now going forward, you know, we, we, we see at least four or five different growth engines that will further uh, accelerate us as a really a global center. Like take uh, wealth management as an example. I, I don't know whether many people uh, realize this. Hong Kong is actually ranked ahead of New York as a city with the most ultra high net worth population in the world and way ahead of other cities in the region. And also um, green tech and green finance. Um, you may say Hong Kong is such a small place, you no, know, eight million people, no, no. But actually, we have more than 100 green tech startups in Hong Kong, mainly because we have a huge potential market right next door, right, the mainland China. Uh, and then green finance, uh, we, we also are leading in, in this field. We have set the, uh, some benchmark issues, some of the longest duration green bond, 30 years, right, uh, uh, here in the region and in the world for that matter. Uh, and then the other growth engine um, is digital assets. Uh, we are one of the leading centers that have a holistic regulatory framework now for uh, cryptos, but we look well beyond crypto. We're really looking at the blockchain technology. Uh, that's why the, the Hong Kong government became the first government in the world to issue tokenized green bond uh, uh, in January. Uh, and then we are issuing the Hong Kong dollar very soon. Uh, and stable com regulation. Uh, and then innovation and fintech is, uh, is another driver. Uh, and last but not least, uh, we have you know, the largest uh, offshore MNB center and potentially can become uh, 
fundraising hub for Belt and Road countries as well, as just as what we've done uh, for mainland China's 30 years ago. So lots of challenges, but uh, also you know a lot of exciting opportunities ahead. Mm. Well, just just before I turn to Mike, uh, I'd like to challenge both of you quickly. Uh, would you mind uh, starting with Jochen? Just what what's your most optimistic thing and what's your most pessimistic thing uh, before we head over? So Jochen. Right. My most, uh, my most, my most optimistic thing is, uh, and this is also an area which I like a lot, is, is fintech financial technology. Um, I see the young startups addressing one issue after another, and in many cases, much better than the uh, the traditional financial industry. Okay. This brings innovation and maybe will help us uh, to solve some of the issues. Most pessimistic, um, King has mentioned. Um, you know, we have, we are we are moving into less uh, collaboration on a at least on a on a political level uh, between all all the countries worldwide. It's, my my gut feeling is was was better before. At the world alliance or between the financial center, this is still different. We are we are big family. There's of course an element of competition here and there, but we we support each other because we have the feeling this is necessary because the, the issues we address doesn't make sense where we save uh, this uh, ton of CO2 emissions, whether it's in Hong Kong, in, in China, in, in Europe, or in, in, in the US, right? So, but we have to do it and we need that uh, joint approach. So I'm, I'm very grateful for, for, for all the support we have and uh, hope we can uh, work uh, in, in a good way together. Right. And King, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I echo what Johan just said. Uh, I think that's why I, I, I keep mentioning the importance of WAIFC is the connectivity. You know, there are common goals out there that we all want to work towards, such as climate change is real issue for everyone. Uh, what, what I would like to bring out another hurdle for, for, for us is the balancing regulation versus innovation. There are a lot of you know, very innovative startups, uh, at least you know, I've come across in Hong Kong. But the problem is that we have a lot of legacy in the system. So it's very difficult to uh, bring out you know, these new innovative ideas into the real uh, financial market, into the market. So we, we need some, some kind of um, policy, like public-private partnership, perhaps, to help bring out some of these innovative ideas uh, into the open. Wonderful. Well, uh, we've come to time. Uh, Gentlemen, if you want to turn your cameras off, we're going to hand over to Mike for 15 minutes, and then we'll come back for a, a group discussion. Uh, those of you who are, who are watching and listening, you are part of this, so please uh, do type any questions or comments into the GoToWebinar chat button. Uh, Mike and I and King and Jochen are here uh, on GoTo. Uh, any questions we don't get time for, uh, Mike will pick up and answer as well. Um, so ju just uh, feel free to participate. Uh, but now, Mike, uh, the floor is very much yours. I guess uh, you won't do this in Miss World Order, but uh, you know, what are the results? Well, thank you very much indeed. Um, and indeed, I won't do um, uh, <clears throat> the results straight away. Of course, I've got some introductory remarks. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Mike Wardle. I'm the Chief Executive Officer at CN and the lead author on the Global Financial Centers Index. Um, the first thing to say um, and to mention is that the GFCI is part of uh, ZN's long finance program, uh, which is really looking at exploring finance, economics, sustainability and technology over the longer term. 
Uh, financial centre development, we believe, is a very important part um, of the future uh, and the way that uh, we continue uh, to develop the financial system uh, going forwards. Um, the GFCI is a <coughs> factor assessment index. It uses two distinct data sets. First of all, survey data, where financial professionals rate centres that they know something about. Uh, second, over 140 quantitative measures. And the methodology we use um, uses the survey results, provided those who rate cities for their performance, uh, to give a weighting to the quantitative factors. We don't ourselves uh, weight the quantitative measures. Uh, we use the survey results through a machine learning algorithm uh, to do that weighting. And the GFCI world uh, is now tracking 121 uh, centres across the world, uh, as you'll see on the map. And we're keeping an eye on 11 other centres um, who are developing and we think will enter the index uh, in due course. Um, this is, uh, Michael mentioned the uh, first, the beginnings of the GFCI. And in GFCI 1, we are tracking 46 centres. And the real measure, the real sort of message from this is that the development of new financial centres continues, uh, but with both centres arising in countries with existing expertise, with new centres arising, and countries who want to develop an international presence uh, where they haven't had one traditionally. Um, so we continue to see uh, the rise of uh, financial centres doing international finance, uh, and we'll continue to track that development. Um, by way of the people who respond to our survey, we have a, um, a broad mix um, by uh, sector within the finance, uh, the finance world. Uh, in terms of geography, people in Asia Pacific make up the largest group of respondents, um, and we're very grateful for all of those who participate in our uh, index work. So now to the uh, headlines. The top 20 centres in GFCI 34 are shown in this table. There's a good deal of stability in the rankings at the top of the table, but just noting Geneva has moved up uh, 13 places in this edition of the index to move uh, just into the top 10. Um, Hong Kong remains in fourth position, just one point behind Singapore, only three points behind London. So very close clustering uh, at the top of the table, uh, but with New York having a clear lead. In terms of the, um, the headline results, um, I've mentioned the, the, the leading centres, and, uh, and that's clear. Um, Washington has come back into the uh, top 10 in this edition, uh, while, while Seoul has gone down to 11th and Boston has fallen a bit. Um, but as I say, there's still quite a lot of stability at the top of the table. The average rating of centres in the index rose uh, just over 3.5% compared with the last edition of GFCI. This, this is, suggests growing confidence in financial centres in the world economy, notwithstanding the global challenges that we all know about. So it's very interesting uh, that people are still putting uh, their faith and confidence uh, in financial centres, uh, notwithstanding some of those difficulties. Uh, US centres perform, perform particularly well. Uh, five US centres in the top 10, reflecting, I think, the strength of the US economy. Um, leading Chinese centres were stable in the rankings. And we did a piece of work for this edition of the index, uh, asking people about the strategies that are required for ensuring the future strength of talent in the financial sector. Uh, and the most important one of those, and Michael will talk about this a bit uh, further on, was continuing professional development. Um, we also published, as you will know, a FinTech ranking alongside the main GFCI rating. And in that ranking, uh, New York also takes uh, first place. Uh, London takes second place in this edition, overtaking San Francisco. Uh, Shenzhen maintained its fourth place in the table.
Just looking at regional performance over time uh, on this measure, there's been a narrowing of the gap um, between regions. North America uh, retains its slight lead over Asia Pacific and Western Europe. Um, but the, the main message here is that over time, the uh, gap in performance between the top centers in each region uh, has narrowed. Um, and just looking at the, uh, the top five centers, uh, New York's lead is slightly smaller than in GFCI 33, but it's still significant. And the following centers are neck and neck uh, with very small differences in ratings separating this leading group. Um, so we continue to see um, you know, a, a real competition uh, between financial centers across the, across the sectors. I mentioned that we track uh, fintech performance separately. Again, considerable stability amongst the leading centers, but Frankfurt has gained seven places on this measure in GFCI 34. And US and Chinese centers really do dominate the top of the table, uh, although London is, is in there in second place, Singapore uh, in fifth. Just turning to some of the regional analysis, um, to looking at uh, Western Europe. Uh, Western Europe has seven centers in the top 20, and there were notable improvements in the rankings for Geneva and Dublin in GFCI 34. Uh, Frankfurt, Luxembourg, Zurich, and Berlin also rose in the rankings in this edition, um, but a, a solid performance there in Western European centers. Turning to Asia Pacific, again, seven centers in this region feature in the top 20 globally. Uh, Chinese centers perform well alongside Singapore, Seoul, Tokyo, and Sydney. And looking at uh, North America, US centers um, have been performing very strongly over the last three editions of the GFCI, uh, with five featuring in the world top 10. Uh, and just to note that Miami has joined the index uh, for the first time in GFCI 34, uh, ranking 24. In the Middle East and Africa, uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi uh, continue to uh, lead in the Middle East and Africa, with Casablanca, the leading center in Africa, third in the region. A number of centers improved strongly in GFCI 34, including Mauritius, up 13 points into the fifth place in the region. Uh, Riyadh, Kigali, Kuwait City were also up more than 10 places uh, in the rankings. One of the measures we calculate in the GFCI is reputational advantage. This compares the assessments taken from the GFCI survey, weighted for the age of the assessment, and compares this with the final GFCI rating. Uh, and this table shows the 15 centers with the highest reputational advantage. This includes a number of emerging centers, but also some of the um, high performing centers in the index. And a high positive uh, advantage on this measure suggests that the reputation of center may be running ahead of the reality shown by the quantitative measures alone. Um, reputation is important, but you can run ahead uh, of reality. At the other end of the uh, table are those centers with a negative reputational advantage. Uh, in these centers, the quantitative data alone would suggest that they are performing better than their reputation as measured by the uh, survey that we run uh, to underpin the GFCI. Um, so these are places where maybe there's uh, good things happening, um, but people don't know enough uh, about the strength of the performance of these centers. Um, so there's some way to go. I'm going to hand over now to uh, Michael Manelli for some uh, comments and observations on the data. Michael. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, what we thought we'd do, uh, since we've got the, the luxury of having uh, King here, is take a, a little bit of a look, uh, in particular, at uh, some of the areas of competitiveness. This next slide shows you um, areas of competitiveness for 
Hong Kong. Uh, Mike, have you got that slide up? There we go. Um, now what you see here is, uh, I think, quite exciting. You've got uh, uh, Hong Kong demonstrates to me one of the factors we've always said uh, is important, and that's to rise in the index. You, you have to broaden and deepen at the same time. And so Hong Kong scores a fourth in business environment, human capital, financial center, uh, sector development, and, and reputation. And you can see here, uh, maybe some work needs to be done on infrastructure. And I say this according to uh, the survey participants, but you see the breadth of Hong Kong. You see the ability to deliver. You can't rise up the rankings uh, without actually handling everything. You can't rise up the rankings by just having a, a fantastic uh, financial sector. Now this next slide here uh, gives you also a feel um, for some of the industry subsectors. Uh, now here uh, the picture is also equally mixed, but King emphasized uh, some of the things that have been going on in Hong Kong deliberately, uh, particularly in fintech and the regulation of fintech and the blockchains and cryptos, etc. So you can see here that that enormous strength that a center like Hong Kong is playing up there with everybody else. Um, equally, and I think this is a this has got some something to do uh, with the livability of Hong Kong. Uh, the professional services sector is extremely uh, strong there. But again, Hong Kong doesn't score poorly on anything. In fact, you need to score uh, very well across the board. Now, Mike made a point, uh, which this next slide emphasizes, which is how things have been changing. Over the years that we've been doing this, I've noticed a shift uh, depending on economic conditions. People are either very interested in the people and how it's going, or they're very interested in the regulation. And we've been moving through a few regulatory phases, but this index swung back quite strongly on the importance of staff. So when you look at the factors affecting choice of location, uh, notice here that uh, just about every, well, in fact, every, every one of the five top ones is about staffing. Uh, the most important was, you know, is there an opportunity for continuing development of staff and firms they are attracted to that? Uh, but equally, it was funding for postgraduate finance degrees, open immigration policies, special immigration arrangements, and tax concessions, but not firm tax concessions, tax concessions to support investment and staff development. So uh, a huge swing uh, here onto people factors and the importance of structural people factors uh, being available to help. Uh, for me, uh, well, this, 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 this makes a lot of sense. But I think it is to some degree uh, a reflection as well of the pandemic. If you don't need staff at the cutting edge, uh, you can probably outsource them. You can have them working from home. You can have things. But if you want people actually in a financial center, the intellectual component of financial centers is being pressed to rise uh, to meet this need. And that's actually something uh, that personally I think I've seen here in London, uh, particularly with firms moving from Canary Wharf uh, back to the city center. They want to see that intellectual vibrancy, the connectivity uh, of the intellect in the center and their ability to develop themselves. Well, those are some, some remarks from me, uh, but we're now going to turn back to our panel. And uh, we have a number of people online, so please do ask your questions quickly so we get time uh, to answer them. Um, and the first question, um, I, think, I, I think probably uh, all three uh, could have a go at it. Uh, this is from Alina uh, Dolgova, um, and it, I think it could equally be addressed by uh, Jochen and King when they come back online. Uh, but Mike, perhaps you could start. 
how does the current process of regionalization of the world economy affect GFCI and how could it affect the index and financial centers? Mike, if you could stick to the GFCI, uh, then I think King could probably address it from a Hong Kong perspective and Jochen uh, from a membership perspective. Just to repeat that, how does the current process of regionalization of the world economy uh, affect the index and financial centers? <clears throat> yes, I, th I think the, 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 the thing that we're seeing more of is interconnectivity between financial centers. And one of the uh, things that people are looking at when they uh, assess financial sector performance uh, is how well integrated the centers are with you know, both their regional um, you know, collaborators and competitors and with international um, international uh, partners. Um, so one of the things that we do look at um, in the uh, GFCI is connectivity. Um, so we do an analysis of um, who is rating who uh, in the GFCI survey. So who is rating Hong Kong and who are people in Hong Kong rating um, so that we can understand how deep the connectivity are uh, between financial centers. Um, and what we're seeing increasingly is that um, you know, we can track the centers which are really focused on the region. Um, so that most of the connectivity is with other centers in, in their area of the world. And those which are developing really strong international links looking, uh, looking across all sectors uh, and all regions of the world. Um, so, so I think it's a matter of the GFCI tracking uh, where financial centers are positioning themselves, uh, either as global centers looking uh, across the world or as being leaders in their particular region or having uh, some mixed economy between that. Uh, and we, we will be tracking that connectivity as we go forward. And there's a bit more information about that and how we profile centers into global, international or regional uh, in the full report. As I turn to King, uh, King, just, uh, I mean, one thing to, to ponder is, you know, how true is the fact that there's regionalization going on? Do you, do you agree with uh, Alina's assumption or do you uh, not see regionalization happening? Uh, but if you do, you know, how's it affecting you? Yeah, I think definitely um, it, it's a trend um, that we are seeing more regionalization. At the same time, the world is still very much connected globally. You take look at supply chain diversification. Uh, just look at the relationship between Vietnam and China. Yes, there are a lot of uh, 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 manufacturing uh, low-end uh, jobs uh, have been uh, relocated to Vietnam. But and you look at the trade between Vietnam and mainland China, it's shot through the roof. So in a way, it highlights you know, how connected the world is. There are a lot of materials still have to be provided by uh, mainland China. And China has also moved up the uh, supply chain in terms of quality, in terms of sophistication. So um, it's no bad thing that, that we see these kind of regionalization because then everyone can benefit. But at the same time, I want to highlight is that the world remains connected. There's no way we can uh, really cut out any uh, particular economy for long uh, from each other. So that's why going back to connectivity is really important. Uh, so we need to try and work collect collaboratively to make sure that everyone wins. That it's not just a zero-sum game. Jochen? I think on, on one hand, uh... Uh, we see a lot of very promising regional developments, right? So um, if you look at uh, Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, but also North Africa, Alina represents Central Asia, Tashkent, you know, 
uh, a lot is going on and a lot is to learn from, from other financial centers. Of course, regional, there's also an element of competition. If we look on a global scale, what worries me a little bit is that financial regulation. Um, before, uh, you know, before there was a process of certain harmonization worldwide, globally, right? So, but I think it's more now going in the different directions. And, you know, there will be more and more hurdles, uh, you know, like anti-money laundering or so, or sanctions and so on, which might make uh, international trade flows, international financial transaction much more cumbersome and might exclude uh, certain areas from, 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 from the global financial world, right? So because maybe AML will be too costly, manual processes and so on and so forth. Um, same applies for, for supply chain, right? We are in the process of greening uh, the supply chains, making them digital, but we need to make sure that nobody is excluded and everybody has access to it. There's no discrimination of, of certain countries and, and so on. Um, so I see, yeah, I have some concerns in, in this area and yeah, we need to keep focus on keeping financial uh, regulation balanced and non-discriminatory and uh, also try to, uh, you know, give all countries a chance to connect to the financial system. Okay, thank you. Well, we've got a, a number of people also dialing in because uh, of having computer issues or something, but uh, Hugh Mills, who I know works uh, between uh, London and Asia, frequently in Korea and Japan, uh, said he hadn't really thought about Hong Kong as a green center. Uh, and now that you've raised it, he, he's sort of getting the point. He was wondering uh, two things, uh, one uh, from you, King. Um, could you just expand a little bit about why Hong Kong uh, it should be seen as a green uh, center uh, for finance. Um, and then uh, a question also for you, Jochen, um, are financial centers doing enough uh, to address the green issues? So uh, King, over to you. Yeah, thanks. Because uh, uh, we all know China um, is the largest carbon emitter in the world. Uh, I guess it's a factory of the world. So uh, that that's expected, but um, the government has set a very stringent uh, uh, net zero transition target. So they need a lot of financing. If I remember the figures correctly, so, uh, estimated by some investment bankers, we're looking at you know, easily 12 to 16 trillion US dollar. So it can't be funded entirely by the government. So that's why Hong Kong as an international financial center can help. And, and you know, we, uh, look, we have been developing a, a green bond market. Uh, we've been very active, and we are hoping to link up the mainland carbon market with that of the, uh, the rest of the world too, because uh, the mainland China just concluded their uh, voluntary carbon market uh, consultation process. So this is, to me, uh, going to be a game changer if we can make that connection happen. Okay. Okay. I think we all don't do enough for for uh, against mm. climate change, right? So in that sense, would be very arrogant if you say our financial centers, we are doing our job, it's just the others, right? So of course, we also do need to do more. It starts with capacity building. We need to, you know, empower universities and, and, uh, and other um, players in the educational space. Uh, to develop talent, we need ESG experts and, and many, many other new roles, uh, not only for the financial industry, uh, like fund management and so on, but also for, for corporates, which are on the, on the other side, need, they need to do their reporting properly. Um, so otherwise, you know, financial industry cannot work with their data. Right? So 
uh, but also we need to set the standards and the, uh, the financial centers or maybe even the, the, the agencies representing the financial centers and promoting them, they need to play a role in bridging between the financial industry on one hand and the government on the other hand, uh, because uh, yeah, it's good to have someone in between who speaks both languages in a way, but also at the same time bridging between the financial industry and the corporates, right? So because also there are misunderstandings and we need to explain uh, you know, very precisely what is what is required. And we also need to be reasonable with our demands. Um, otherwise, yeah, we can set up lots of reportings, but I don't know whether mm. at the end, the, you know, this will help a lot, right? So um, the, da the data quality needs to be right, better less data, but, you know, precise data, which helps helps us to steer. So I think this is, this is a role we have to play. And definitely we have to do more also invent new instruments, financial instruments like King said. Um, so I think, yeah, still still a lot to do, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, King, uh, China uh, launched its uh, national emissions trading scheme in July uh, 21. Uh, Simon Morris is curious, um, how has that uh, affected you in Hong Kong? Are you integrated with that or is that separate and are you trading it? Uh, no, not uh, trading it at the moment. Um, that's a great question, and that's where you know we believe you know we can add value and and um, try and connect uh, the mainland market uh, with uh, the rest of the world. There's still a, a, a gap in terms of standard, uh, but this again is the the uh, competitive advantage of Hong Kong being a conduit. You know, we will try to breach uh, these uh, different standards, uh, and we have examples of these successful cases like. Stock Connect, Bond Connect, and so on. So we're hoping that we can build a, a carbon connect. Uh, you know, it, hopefully, you know, uh, you know, before too long. But that's a huge opportunity for everyone. Great, uh, Mike. I've got a question for you from uh, Abalobo. Um, mm. He's talking about Glasgow. Um, they had a quite a significant reputational disadvantage. You might take an opportunity to explain that because in some ways I think that the disadvantage is an advantage, but that's me. Um, what can they do about it? Yeah, the <clears throat> reputational disadvantage effectively means that the financial center is doing a lot of the right things and the quantitative data is showing that, but um, people um, don't know enough about the center and what it's doing to give them a rating which is appropriate to, to where they are. So it's really a marketing uh, issue. It's about outreach um, from a financial center such as Glasgow um, to get more people and to understand what it is they're doing, uh, to come out, if you like, from the shadow of, of Edinburgh in that particular case. And there's always this question where you have multiple financial centres in a single uh, jurisdiction. You know, London tends to overshadow Edinburgh, but Edinburgh has a very long uh, history of financial services, particularly with Asian uh, partners. Uh, Glasgow is a third centre uh, on the British mainland. Um, but is a bit in the shadow. But there's something about how can Glasgow um, explain its distinctive uh, financial role and the role of its financial services um, to a global audience in a way that really differentiates it from um, Edinburgh and London. So it's a marketing kind of issue um, to get a message out and to get the distinctive uh, nature of Glasgow's uh, financial ecosystem uh, understood by people out in the world. It's always uh, tough to bring these things to an end with a good question uh, or, or that isn't a, a trick. Um, and I'm absolutely delighted that the question has popped in, which I think each of the three of you uh, could have a go at uh, as a nice way to close. This is from Hortense Mudenga. 
Uh, Hortense is dialing in uh, from Rwanda. Uh, hello, everyone. Great discussion. Uh, I'm dialing in from Rwanda Finance. It's great to see the improvement in the rankings that most centers have made. Uh, this, this huge uplift across the board. Can the panel shed more light on what has influenced that? And are, what, are, what are the trends that you're seeing in your regions? Uh, so, you know, we've seen everybody kind of rise, which is interesting because obviously after the financial crisis, all the centers fell. Is, is there increasing confidence in finance or is society looking to finance to support more things? Is it just uh, ebullience of pandemics over? I don't know. Uh, so your thoughts would be most welcome. I'll start here uh, with you, Jochen. Uh, looking across your membership. Um, first of all, I think it's a it's a very good time uh, and, a, and, a, and a, a good basis to say thank you to to both of you, Mike, uh, Michael and Mike, for all this great work of over so so many years. You know, in in providing a benchmarking for financial centers, I can say from my experience that not not all of our members are always happy with the results, but I think keeps us agile and. And, and competitive, so I think it's 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 quite important to have this half-year you know benchmark for for the financial centers. I see a lot of positive developments. Uh, I've mentioned already regionally, uh, uh, Hortense uh, represents the Kigali International Financial Centers, one of our members, and it's a role model. It's a it's a it's a small but very important country in sub-Saharan Africa, which a very bright future also on the financial center side. So, uh, you know, I see a lot of development coming out of financial technology, of fintech. This is in, in, in those areas uh, a very good opportunity to, to leapfrog in payments and in lending and in many other topics. King, your thoughts? Thanks. Um, I think it's good to see that everyone's trying to improve. I think your, your index has definitely given us the impetus. Uh, it's also part of a KPI. Uh, but uh, I think it, it, it is really useful to know that uh, we are actually learning uh, from each other, trying uh, to uh, up like, the game um, is friendly competition. I think that's, that, that's the key. Uh, as I alluded to earlier, we want to make the pie bigger. So uh, there are definitely uh, shortcomings that we need to work on. And uh, you know, we look forward to your index and learn you know, uh, about the areas that we need to uh, put more resources on uh, and you know, maintain some of our competitive advantage. And Mike, your thoughts? Yes, I, th I, I think that there is a growing confidence in financial centers. Um, and I know Hortense um, was looking particularly at Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and just looking at what's happening, um, we're seeing uh, international financial centers starting to really flex and develop in that part of the world. So traditionally it was South African centers, but we now have Lagos looking very closely at how to build its reputation and its, its work. Um, we have um, you know, Kigali, as mentioned, who've put an enormous amount of effort over the last few years uh, into developing themselves as a modern uh, financial centre, but also trying to leapfrog um, some of the uh, traditional financial centres and find new ways to do things. Um, when Jochen referred to the work we did last year on the future of financial centres, one of the questions that we were asked at that time was, what's the next uh, development? Um, and we looked at Africa. Um, as the place where development may, may well be taking place, partly because of um, the growth in trade and the, the freeing up of trade in Africa uh, through the Pan-Continental Trade Agreement. Um, and just to end on that point, that um, trade keeps finan international finance flowing. Um, and as long as we see trade 
um, being healthy and being as open as possible, uh, we think there's a great future for financial centres um, to help solve the challenges that we all face. That's a good note to close. I mean, uh, uh, with you, Mike, I, I, I sometimes think trade gets lost in all of this. We talk about liquidity and exchanges and we get all fussed about it, but actually the real driver that makes it international is trade. And of course, trade is is a very much about co-opetition. I need to cooperate and compete at the same time. Uh, you know, there, there can't be just one international financial center, uh, whatever people like to think. Um, so I think that's a, that's a good note on which to close. Uh, as we do so, uh, may I note somewhat to my dismay that uh, we're looking forward to next March for the 35th edition of what started off as just an interesting research project. Uh, so always good. Um, I would also like to point out that next month we have the Global Green Finance Index coming out on the 26th of October. Uh, so please do go and submit any of the results you'd like there. We have the Smart uh, Centers Index, which is increasingly important as we see the fusion of technology and finance and embedded finance. And that's coming out in November. Again, please go to the Smart Centers Index if you feel that you can assess centers and take the survey there. But most importantly, uh, take the GFCI survey uh, here uh, on, on the link. And we look forward to seeing our, all of our teams together uh, over the next few months, but particularly next March for the 35th edition. My thanks to everyone for being here today. And thank you uh, for, for hosting us on all of this, Mike. And we will now close. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.